0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, good friends. Good to see you. Good to have you back on the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's world-famous Reporters Roundtable. This week will be remembered as the week of debates in New York, Florida, Wisconsin, New Mexico, Alaska, New Hampshire, but most attention to Pennsylvania, where Democrat John Fetterman, still recovering from a stroke, had a hard time keeping up with silver-tongued TV doctor Mehmet Oz. So do Fetterman's speech difficulties hurt him or help him? The campaign trail gets more crowded now as former President Barack Obama joins President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, stumping for Democratic candidates, while former President Donald Trump pops up anywhere he can. In other news, a second woman now claims that Herschel Walker paid for her abortion, drove her to the clinic and waited in his car till the procedure was over. Progressive Democrats bombed big time. Calling for peace talks in Ukraine and then immediately changing their mind. And the whole world quakes as Elon Musk, self-proclaimed chief TWIT, takes over Twitter. Haha. <laughs> Here today to help us make some sense of it all. Alan Smith, politics reporter for NBC News. Hello, Alan. Good to have you with us. Leah Escarinam, senior editor now at the grid. Hello, Leah. Hi, Belle. And Jason Dick, editor-in-chief of CQ Roll Call. Hello, Jason. Good morning, everybody. Well, uh, normally wouldn't start here, but every site that I checked this morning, including the front page of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, start with Elon Musk is the big story. He now is the head of Twitter. It happened last night. He immediately fired the CEO, the CFO, and the general counsel Jason, what's this mean? <laughs> what
2: does it mean? Um, well, I, I would say, you know, the, the next couple of weeks could be a little bumpy, right? Um, but, <laughs> the, I mean, I, you know, Musk has, has said that he wants people who were, um, you know, banned from Twitter, such as the former president, Donald Trump, back on the platform. He wants it to be, you know, more freewheeling, as if it's not freewheeling enough. Um, I mean, this could... Be one of those things where we get a little bit more noise and chatter uh, as as we head up to the election, but it was kind of getting loud anyway. I don't know if it's going to make any kind of difference in the midterms. I mean, for social media and the way that we communicate, I think it's a, a an open question. These, you know, particularly Twitter has always sort of punched above its weight. It's not by any means the largest social media application, but it has this outsized influence. And I think that it's going to change. People are going to uh, think of it differently now, and w- how that plays out in the years to come is is you know who who knows There were a lot of SpaceX rockets that blew up <laughs> blew up before they kind of got things right and and started actually being able to send people to the international space Station. so i would I would guess we're going to be in for a weird rough transition. So, Alan, you're
1: in this digital world. What's the the talk in the digital world about uh, fear of what Elon Musk should do or they feel that this is um, going to be another huge Musk success or a Musk bust? Well, I mean, you're definitely seeing a a good amount of chatter online from
3: folks who are thinking this is the end. Right, uh, <laughs> Twitter is going to come crashing down. It's all over. All these huge audiences uh, people have built on here—you know, time, time to look elsewhere. I think it's a bit overheated <laughs> for the moment. Um, let's let's wait and see what uh, he ends up doing with the site. I know that he, you know, immediately went in and, and fired some of the top executives. But I mean, to an extent, that can be expected when you have new ownership come into any company. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll really wait and see. I mean, the thing that I think a lot of people think of is, okay, well, is Donald Trump going to be back on the platform? And I think that's a little more complicated than whether or not Elon Musk wants to uh, put him back. Uh, he's invested, uh, you know, a good amount in his own social media company, and if he were to leave uh, basically a Twitter clone to come back to Twitter, that could give him a whole bunch of other headaches with his own investors. Um, so I think that's a bit of a complicated process. And as Jason said, with the midterms being so soon and Elon Musk just having taken over, I mean, for any effects of that to go downstream to politics, I think uh, that in terms of the next vote, it's definitely a bit
1: too early to say. Right. Uh, so let's get back to the ground that we're uh, really more versed in and more comfortable with, and that is politics. With all the debates this week for governor, for senator, for Congress, a lot of big ones. Leah did... Any of these debates make any change in any race?
0: Well, debates are part of the appeal of debates. Is if you're if you're trailing in the race, uh, it's an opportunity to try to improve your position or hope that your opponent flubs in a way that makes them disqualifying. Right. In a lot of, for yeah. a lot of, and, and so what's tricky is a lot of these these uh, especially in Pennsylvania, the Senate race is already so close has been so close. And so what you emerged from from this Pennsylvania debate was questions about John Fetterman's um, health, the, the Democratic nominee and uh, on the Republican side a quote from the Republican nominee Dr. Oz Mehmet Oz uh, where he basically said that uh, uh, the decision to get an abortion should be between a woman, her doctor, and local political leaders. Um, as one of my colleagues recently pointed out to me, one of those makes a much better ad than the other, the Mehmet Oz one. We're going to <laughs> be played a lot. Um, so I think the question is just which one hurts more? Is it the Dr. Oz comment that hurts his chances more or is it Betterman's um, speech issues due to his stroke that hurt him more?
1: So, Jason, it seems that this um, Fetterman's uh, clear problems, uh, difficulties recovering from his stroke, he's not, he by all means not fully recovered yet, uh, could play one way or the other, right? And here is John Fetterman the day after the debate um, making the case, you know, I'm the guy that got knocked down and can get back up. Here he is on the campaign trail.
2: After, you know, having a stroke after five uh, five months, after that stroke, I got knocked down, but I got back up. And I'm going to fight for everyone in Pennsylvania who ever got knocked down that ever had to get back up. So that's his,
1: that's the way he makes his case. The other says, as Leah pointed out, is saying, well, that just proves he's not fit to be
2: a senator. How's it play? Uh, Well, the first thing I'd like to say is, I mean, this is a golden opportunity for a Chumba Wumba comeback for the tub thumping song. I get knocked down, uh, (laughs) but I get back up. Uh, And and also their their politics are on the left. So, you know, I think that Fetterman's got a real opportunity there. (laughs) Um, But I mean, in all seriousness, I think that, uh, you know, these debates do tend to capture the imagination more of the people who are undecided. I mean, it's hard to imagine that, you know, in the world that we occupy, right? The, the people on this round table that anybody's undecided after months and months and months. I mean, I think I've gotten just since this podcast, you know, started about 25 emails from either Oz or Fetterman. Uh, you know, one one of yeah, them, right. Michael Harris is talking about Fetterman now, you know, and I I think that it could work against him for the, you know, this sort of unimaginable number of people who are undecided. But I also got to say that I mean the before getting to Oz's comments about abortion, which is you know his you know the the, the sort of he, thing that he has to deal with. I mean, some people will probably feel some sympathy too for Fetterman because I mean, who who among us doesn't know somebody who's had some sort of serious health problem, such as a stroke, uh, you know, and and had to deal with that. And Fetterman is not you know sort of. Uh, you know, a, a shrinking violet, he's six foot eight, he's back on the trail. And I, I think that it might be kind of canceling each canceling each other out, you know, the, the two sides of, you know, people who are having have hesitations about him. And then also people who are saying like, Hey, I have problems, or my my family has health problems. And I, I wouldn't have the guts to get up there on a debate stage on TV and and let people see me. So I just I don't think that it's I don't know if it's moving the needle, you know, in in a way that doesn't cancel each other out. So, Alan, let me come to you with the Mehmet Oz
1: quote that Leah mentioned and uh, Jason referred to as well. Uh, So he, to me, um, I think to everybody, uh, took the abortion issue, which, by the way, when he was running in the Republican primary, he said abortion is murder Uh, at any time in the pregnancy. It's murder in the debate. He said there should be no federal role for for abortion. It should be decided by let it let him uh, tell us.
3: I want women, doctors, local
1: uh, political leaders. That's the phrase, Alan, local political leaders. Are we talking about city council or school board or uh, this is pretty big news, isn't
3: it? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Fetterman and his campaign immediately and turning that into an ad, who did they contrast that with? They contrasted it with Doug Mastriano. That's the local political leader uh, that they want associated in Pennsylvanians' minds. And really, you look at advertising throughout uh, the campaign in PA, uh, Democrats have really wanted to tie their opponents to Doug Mastriano in any uh, case possible. Now, this is the guy who's running for governor on the Republican side. He's also said abortion is uh, murder, but he's viewed as having generally uh, much further to the right views on you know, a whole litany of issues than a lot of the other Republicans who are running in the state. Um, and so this quote, just because, uh, Mehmet Oz is, you know, specifically singling out quote, local political leaders, it gives Democrats an in to tie him to Mastriano, who's much, much less popular than some other Republicans in the state.
1: So following up on that, Alan, um, With Mastriano trailing Josh Shapiro for governor, right? That if this uh, ad and this uh, effort on the part of the Fetterman campaign, uh, that um, Oz may be in the end the big loser of the debate. It it very well could be. I mean,
3: Oz has really uh, throughout the campaign tried to keep Mastriano at an arm's length. Um, They haven't been, you know, really campaigning together. They are going to appear together at. Uh, Trump's pre-election rally in Western Pennsylvania, I believe on November 5th, but they really have not been really even crossing paths on the campaign trail. They haven't really been campaigning as a unified ticket. So this is one of the bigger windows that Democrats have had to to tie the two together. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see where abortion ranks on the issues that's driving folks to the polls in the state. Uh, we've definitely seen some polling in recent weeks that show you know, as Republicans have kind of climbed back, uh, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's crime, it's the economy and abortions trailed off just slightly. Uh, but I don't think you can really trust the polls a hundred percent to tell you what's going to drive people out. Uh, and maybe that vote that's really focused on abortion rights is going to be just as strong uh, as it looked to be in August or,
1: or September. Yeah. One final point on this. Um, Ron, uh, don't call her Romney McDaniel. Um, the Republican national chair appeared with a talk show host Hugh Hewitt the other day, and they talked about the debate. Um, and uh, Jason, I'd like to play this for you. And the question is, could Republicans be making a mistake by basically making fun of a disabled person, temporarily at least disabled, as a huge disabled community uh, out there? We know one great president who served in a wheelchair his entire presidency, but anyhow, Here's here's uh, Hugh Hewitt and Rona, don't call her Romney McDaniel.
3: I hope there are cameras and microphones because you put those three together and they could say anything, Rona.
0: Well, maybe they can get a full sentence out. I, uh, so Biden said between the two of us, we may be able to finish a full sentence.
2: Jason? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that this is a, a bad look. I mean, but then again, I'm sort of, I, I, I think I'm a little in more in the old school of you just don't make fun of people. Uh, you don't, you don't, you know, kick down, <laughs> you know, th- this is a very classic example of punching down. And, you know, like in, in politics, you know, w- when people are making mistakes, you kind of, you know, or, or doing something embarrassing, the, you don't, you don't want to become the story in the way that you react to it. And uh, you know th- that's that is one of those things. It comes across sort of as smarmy, uh, and in a time when we're still, I mean, people uh, are are still scarred, I think, by COVID. <laughs> you know, we're still in a pandemic. We're still in a, in a situation where people are are grasping and and trying to deal with a lot of health issues and problems. And it, it's it's something that comes across, I, I think, to to, to uh, you know, kind of decent people as like a little unbecoming right
1: all right leah let's go to georgia A woman number two saying herschel walker encouraged her to have an abortion paid for it drove her to the clinic sat in his car in the parking lot until the procedure was over sent her lots of get better car get well cards um which we saw signed by him um leah uh does it make yeah. any difference does anybody <laughs> care <laughs> How many well, How many more are going to come forward? Uh,
0: yeah, I think that's I mean, once it happens once, right? Like, to, do do things change if it happens a second time? So what we were looking for the first time that a similar accusation came out um, where Herschel Walker was accused of pressuring a woman into getting an abortion and, and paying for it uh, was whether the party in general apparatus would abandon Herschel Walker whether that was their mm-hmm. kind of cue to be like we're 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 out we're going to focus on Pennsylvania and, and Arizona and Wisconsin and you know this this is unsalvageable. Uh that did not happen and it didn't happen yesterday. Um we saw political leaders again rally right behind Herschel Walker. Um so I guess the question is whether his image would be further tarnished but even if it is like at this point how many people in Georgia are voting for Herschel Walker and how many are voting for the Republican Senate candidate. Um, And I think that's the big question and why Republicans are sticking with him. Um, In the end, the person, uh, when it comes to deciding the Senate majority, um, might just not matter as much. Um, That said, Georgia should have been a top – pickup opportunity for republicans it was mm-hmm. one of the closest states in 2020 uh it's the president's first midterm like this should have been an, a relatively easy race and herschel walker is making it more complicated than it needed to be
1: so alan one of the first republicans that per uh, what Leah's is telling us on the scene happened to be there uh, was lindsey graham right who said basically Character doesn't matter. Here's Lindsey Graham coming to Herschel Walker's defense. If you're a conservative, they don't give a damn about the truth. They're trying to destroy his life 13 days before the election. They did the same thing to Kavanaugh. There's another one and another one and another one. It got to be six. Three people out and out lied. Nothing happened to them. How did that movie end? Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. Herschel's going to the Senate. So I- Alan, this is the, uh, I guess, the Trump M.O., right? <laughs> don't explain, don't apologize, just deny and charge forward. I mean, yes, to an extent. Like, uh, Herschel
3: Walker has, even aside from this, had kind of a curious campaign. Uh, you know, it's it hasn't been exactly clear what his message is. Uh, but I, I think, as Leah said, you know, are they voting for Herschel Walker or are they voting for the Republican? Senate candidate. Now, Herschel Walker in Georgia has a ton of name recognition. So that's obviously helping him, uh, being a a football star from the University of Georgia when they won a national championship. Um, But Walker has been gaining in the polls since this first uh, allegation came out. Mm. And I don't know if you guys caught a video yesterday of Chuck Schumer on the tarmac with President Biden, but Schumer was saying, you know, Georgia is the state where you know Walker is sort of coming into the lead right now, and he can't believe Georgians are going to vote for Herschel Walker. Um, so, is this having a, a major effect on him? It, it doesn't seem to be, at least yet. Um, he he definitely is going to take the Trump strategy of you know deny and make it across the finish line, um, but it's obviously going to be a very close race. And I think it's interesting too that his opponent, Senator Warnock, has not made this a major. Uh, plank of, of his campaigning since this first allegation came out.
1: Right. So before we take a break here, uh, I checked this morning as of ten thirty last night. Jason, fifteen point eight million Americans have already voted uh, in this election. By the way, uh, including yours truly voting in California, uh, and the early vote is especially heavy in Florida, Georgia. And
2: Texas. What's that tell us? (laughs) It tells us that people really do not dig standing all day in line on election day. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, despite the former president's exhortations about, you know, don't, don't vote, you know, like, don't let them do this fraud, blah, 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 people whether they're Republicans, whether they're Democrats, whether they're independents, libertarians, green party, whatever, everybody likes to get this over with as soon as possible because i mean it's it's like kind of like scheduling your bills you know to be paid like well in advance <laughs> you know it's it's awesome um I like to vote early too because I don't want to stand in line, especially even if we weren't still you know, if it wasn't cold or rainy or whatever um yeah people people like it uh, and it's not going away anytime soon,
1: but Leah, it also shows there's a lot of Uh, interest in this election right I mean midterms vote interest is usually down uh, and this shows this could be an exception
0: yeah I mean we saw 2018 have record midterm turnout I think that uh, a lot of experts agree that we're, we're on pace for that if not exceeding it I mean in general when we look at I mean. After Election Day, um, it's probably the case that higher turnout is slightly better news for Democrats. And I'm only saying that not because, in general, higher turnout is good for Democrats, but because this is President Biden, a Democratic president's first midterm election. And a big part of the concern in that first midterm is that the party in power just doesn't show up because they're not enthusiastic. So if there is higher turnout, it means that Democrats are showing up more than they had been, you know, expected to in a general midterm. Um, And it's not surprising given the stakes of this election, not just, um, you know, questions about the January 6th committee and democracy. But I do think that if we do see record turnout, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision will have a a major, um, has has a lot to do with that
1: right okay let's uh, there's so much more uh, to get into including the progressives uh stepping on um their um uh, you know what this week uh and uh, in in congress and what donald trump is up to how about barack obama out on the campaign trail all of that after we take a quick break here on the bill press pod our roundtable and we'll be back with alan smith leah askaranam and jason dick Today's roundtable is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union, over one and a half million strong. They're America's largest and most diverse of all of our labor unions, representing every sector of the American workforce, from vegetable workers in California, construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers up in Maine. As they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, we salute the members of the Teamsters Union and thank them for rebuilding America and thank them for their support of the Bill Press pod.
2: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
1: Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that, unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in.
2: Oh, burger time.
1: And we're back. This is the Bill Press Pod, this week's roundtable. And joining us, Jason Dick, editor-in-chief of CQ Roll Call, Leah Ascarnam, now the senior editor of Grid, and Alan Smith, politics reporter for NBC News. Things were going, um, well, as well as they could, maybe, for Democrats this week until the leaders of the Progressive Caucus came out with a news conference where they said, to President Biden, it's time to change course and change your direction in Ukraine instead of just sending military support. We should be lining up for peace talks with Vladimir Putin. Uh, Alan, how did that go over? It didn't go over terribly well. Um,
3: <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. So after facing you know a wave of backlash, uh, including from fellow Democrats, uh, Rep. Jayapal, the chair of the Progressive Caucus, came out with a statement and said uh, that the they 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 were taking the letter back and that it, it had only been released because of a staff decision uh, <laughs> that did not seem terribly believable. Uh, but it is interesting to see the politics of uh, Ukraine and supporting Ukraine throughout the war with Russia, uh, kind of develop as we get closer to the midterms and the possibility of Republicans taking back the House. And we know that a top, top, top agenda item for them uh, potentially could be blocking all future aid to Ukraine, Uh, because there are a lot of very vocal members in the Republican caucus who do not want to continue supporting the war effort. So interesting to see this come out right before the midterms. And it's obviously going to be a subject to follow uh, in the coming weeks
1: and months. Uh, Jason, I heard you chuckling. I mean, uh, and also, this came in the wake of Kevin McCarthy saying, no blank check for Ukraine, right? Which Democrats thought, ah, this gives us an advantage. (laughs) And then the progressive just went in the other direction.
2: (laughs) It it reminds me sort of of a cliche you know that it gets bandied around a little bit um, when when these sort of policy debates come up especially with very you know like the liberal wing of the Democratic Party which is that they would just ma- they'd rather be right than win and you know like the the thing that about like your you know with McCarthy coming out and saying no blank check this did as you said they Provided an opening to say a contrast, you know, which is what elections are typically about. Right. And and, you know, Premier Jayapal is, you know, is, is a very um, sort of she she has sort of positioned herself as a very influential person in the Democratic caucus or are, are a lot of of people in the progressive caucus. They Um, you know, they, they have the ability to sway votes, especially in a closely divided house, like the one that we're in. And this is, uh, you know, I, I think this is one of those things where she got out in front of her own members on this, uh, as Alan said, it it wasn't believable partly because, you know, they said that, Oh, this was something we wanted to circulate in the summer. But, you know, when Putin was talking about nuking Ukraine, uh, but then you know uh we, we held on to it and staff sent it out <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but the thing that uh you know several people noted too is that she also sent out a release on Monday when the letter went out so it's uh-huh. not like you know it, it, it's it doesn't even you know you you get the like no we caught you uh you know with this <laughs> but then we also caught you like trying to blame your poor staff so this is just a a, a really bad look it really does it it sort of cements the the Democrats, you know, inability to get on the same page, the same message. I mean, you know, the my one of my favorite tidbits about this too is that Pelosi, you know, re- reacted and said, like, no, 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 we're, we're really behind Ukraine, you know, from Europe instead of being here in the home stretch of uh, sure. the midterm election raising money and, and trying to fire people up as much as you she can. She's over in Europe, you know, they're they actually the Democrats got some good news this week with the, you know, GDP going up. Uh, and and, you know, there's just no coherent messaging, whether it's about abortion or the economy or Ukraine. Everybody's freelancing. And, you know, that's that's a missed opportunity for them politically. Uh,
1: Leah, President, uh, former President Obama hitting the campaign trail this weekend. Uh, from what I can see, he'll be in Georgia today. Uh, then he goes on to Wisconsin, Nevada, Pennsylvania. Later, he's going to be out in Detroit. Um, what can we expect? Is this a voter turnout message? Is that uh, what we're going to see, hear from Barack Obama?
0: I think so. I mean, I saw him. I, I saw an ad in the D.C. area for Maryland governor where he's uh, supporting the yeah. Democratic mm-hmm. you know nominee. So he he's everywhere. I mean, he was always kind of the the last minute secret weapon to to boost turnout. Uh, it's not uh, uncommon for actually the previous, you know, president of the party, you know, uh, Obama did rely a bit on, on Bill Clinton to do similar things for for him during his presidency, um, but I mean Obama left a you know a, a popular president, and uh, in states uh, that are super close right now, I, I mean it's hard to say what it is that's going to push a particular candidate over the edge. What will hurt them? Whether it's a debate flub or you know whether it's a, a missed opportunity, and this is kind of just a, a push for those final votes to maybe push push some democratic candidates over the edge
1: uh and meanwhile uh alan we also see uh former president trump having endorsed um half a dozen or more uh senate candidates uh appearing basically everywhere he can right georgia arizona ohio nevada uh pennsylvania as you pointed out you're going to be uh in pennsylvania in the next uh, over the next couple of weeks uh Alan. um, Do Republicans still see Donald Trump as a big asset and a big help in these midterms?
3: I'm not sure they have much choice. Uh, (laughs) He's going to campaign where he wants to campaign and everyone else has to get on board. Now, I'm really interested to see what happens in Pennsylvania with uh, the former president's appearance, Uh, not the least of which because I'm going to be there, but because it's going to be Uh, Either on the same day or right around the same time that uh, President Biden, former President Obama are campaigning in Philly and in Pittsburgh uh, for John Fetterman, for Josh Shapiro and the whole Democratic ticket. Uh, So I think you'll get a real interesting contrast of them campaigning in the same places at the same time, just, you know, three days before Election Day. Now, in PA, obviously, as some of the other states you've mentioned, there has been a lot of early voting and there's been some of the most early voting in Pennsylvania. And the split between registered Democrats and registered Republicans is massive, much more so than in other states. Hmm. But uh, as a huge state, obviously, there's still millions more votes to come in. There's going to be a big Election Day vote. And that's a state where appearances by uh, former presidents Obama and Trump uh, and President Biden could make a difference at the very end.
1: Uh, So, Jason, one of the interesting wrinkles that I saw about Donald Trump's schedule is he just announced a big rally uh, in Florida uh, in a week or so, I think, or maybe end of, end of, or early next week, whenever it is, uh, a rally for Marco Rubio, Ron DeSantis, not invited.
2: Uh, it, interesting how that how that happens. Right. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just I mean, maybe it was just a scheduling quirk. Right. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, as you know, blame it on
1: the staff. Right.
2: <laughs> yes. You know, Don, Donald Trump, you know, sort of uh, famously referred to Marco Rubio on the debate stage as little Marco or, or I, I don't know. If, I can't even remember if it was the debate stage because there were so many of those debates in, in 2015 and 16. But he's you know, he derided yeah. Marco Rubio as little Marco Rubio. Um, and, you know, the, uh, you know, Rubio was sort of. Brought to heel, uh, you know, over, over the last few years, he realizes he needs Trump's voters uh, to to get over, you know, to, to as he runs for re-election, and you know, he is does not pose a threat to Donald Trump, uh, at, at least, you know, from the perspective of Trump world. Whereas DeSantis does. DeSantis is, you know, more likely than not already sort of, you know, setting up the accounts for his presidential run in twenty twenty four. He's not intimidated by Donald Trump. He's going to likely win pretty decisively in Florida against former governor Charlie Crist, uh, in, uh, in, you know, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, DeSantis is, uh, is, is a truly existential threat to Trump's political future. Whereas Rubio, you know, he, he, you know, Trump must love this, uh, having r- Rubio fawn over him, uh, for, at, at a rally. Uh, yeah. By the way, Trump isn't always helpful to some of the candidates,
1: um, that he is or that he has supported, uh, for example, I'm thinking of Ohio where he went and held a rally, held a rally with JD Vance and called him a kiss ass, <laughs> which, <laughs> which JD Vance is still trying to, uh, <laughs> to 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 overcome or ignore whatever. And,
2: yeah, and so, and Tim Ryan really has turned you know it, it, among all the quippy things that you get in in our e- clogging our email and and but on the debate stage too, Tim Ryan really you know turned turned that uh put this focus on Vance on that by saying we need an ass kicker, not an ass kisser. And you know that, that's that's one of those indelible things that just stays in your mind. Uh it was a, yeah. Yeah. It was a gift to Tim Ryan. So uh I want to wrap before
1: we get to uh, your favorite stories of the week. Uh by just asking each of you as you survey the scene and you're out there on the road, um, what you see the issues driving these midterms are. Because we hear that it's crime or that's the economy or that it's abortion or that's democracy or just what do you hear? What do you think, uh, Leah? What do you you think are the driving factors?
0: So, I mean, if you look at polling, you know, the number Mm -hmm. one issue tends to be the economy like across the board. If you look at Democrats in particular, uh, abortion is often one of those top issues. And I do think that if Democrats – Have a better than expected showing. uh, It will be because of abortion, right? Like that is that is what will have set this midterm apart from previous ones. Um, And it is something that I've heard in focus groups discussed um, quite a bit. That said, with the general electorate, I do think it's you know the basic inflation, economy stuff like that.
1: Alan, what do you uh, what do you see? What do you pick up? What do you hear?
3: Much much the same as what Lee had mentioned. You attend Democratic campaign events and a lot of the discussion is focused on abortion rights. You attend Republican campaign events and they're talking about crime and they're talking about inflation and gas prices. Uh, It's it's interesting that you're really not hearing very much about uh, the future of democracy and uh, whether or not, you know, the the strength of our own electoral system is safe. You're not really hearing very much about that on either side right now at their mm-hmm. uh, end of the run campaign events, which, uh, you know, to me, considering how big of an issue this all was, especially after January 6th, is is pretty interesting.
1: That is interesting. And people thought that might be the dominant issue um, in the midterms, but it doesn't seem to be. Well, I'm surprised, Jason, that neither Leah nor Alan mentioned the real issue and the most important issue of all. Thanks to a Republican Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina, we know what that most important issue is, uh, Jason. So here's Congressman Norman. The whole administration is a rogue administration. And I, th- I guess we all know Joe Biden is not running this country. There is a cabal of unelected elitists who are running this country. Probably Barack Obama uh, is involved. Probably. Uh, eric holder and but who knows we know it's not biden
2: there you go jason right and and i'm i'm uh you know we were you know joking when we first heard this uh this clip that uh, he didn't mention the masons you know uh or, or, or the zionists you know um i mean you know there's a lot of like you know dog whistles there you know cabal cool. Uh, you know, I mean, this is part of the fiction, three three black leaders, right? right. Three black leaders. I mean, this is, this is part of the fiction, the alternate reality being constructed by a lot of candidates out there. It gets people riled up. I mean, I, you know, it's, we're in, it's easy to discount it as as just like, you know, like lunacy, but somebody out there believes this and it doesn't take very many people, uh, you know, to, to rile them up dangerously, as we saw on things like January 6th. So it's, you know, this is the line that, you know, you, you, you bring out, you know, in, in, un, you know, either unguarded moments uh, because, you know, maybe you believe it, or when you're trying to really reach down and, and get like the, you know, the people really, really riled up. And it's, dangerous I mean this is like crazy talk and and it's I I would be surprised you know if somebody didn't say like hey Ralph maybe you should talk about how gas prices are high uh you know <laughs> instead of the the cabal um but it it's you know it's really just disturbing to hear things like this
1: and I can't help but point out I mean there always have been fringe lunatic candidates right or people in politics But this man is a member of the United States Congress. So is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they're saying this nutty, crazy, dangerous stuff. And that, I think, should be of concern to uh, all of us. With that, um, we always ask you, as you're so busy covering so many stories, uh, there's one that you're either working on or you just happen to notice that always catches your attention. Your favorite story of the week makes you stop in your tracks at least for a moment to laugh or cry or at least think about it um your favorite story of the week leah will you start us off please
0: sure uh so a lot of my attention on the elections is about who will win the house senate and key governor seats of course uh, but looking at a, a couple interesting referenda uh ah. there was one in oregon um Asking people if healthcare is a fundamental right, um, mm. which would be the first state to enshrine that into their state constitution, uh, which could have some pretty big implications for future lawsuits. And it's, you know, really under the radar. So it's, it's worth a read. Uh, Dan Vergano wrote about it for grid. Um, and it's definitely a unique issue this cycle.
1: Uh, and I want to congratulate you as a, uh, former Latin student, for using the correct plural for referendum. (laughs) It's
0: it's one thing I can do. That's it.
1: (laughs) Referenda. I'm very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alan, what caught your attention this week? So the New York
3: Times has been working on a a series, kind of looking at the the people who objected to the election uh, on January 6th in the House. And they had a story uh, earlier this week focused on the districts that are represented or will soon be represented by candidates who deny the election. And I think it's a really interesting look into uh, the voters behind these these candidates and these these elected officials.
1: Boy, I looked through that. It was fascinating, a fascinating kaleidoscope of American political opinion these days. Yeah. And again, pretty frightening, I found, but uh, excellent, excellent reporting. The New York Times. Uh, and Jason, you've probably got some old movie you want to talk about.
2: <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm going to divert. I'm going to go uh, deviate from the usual script, uh, as, as as you said, and and not even talk about baseball because the World Series is starting. Oh, that's today. right. Yeah. Um, I I rarely do this, but I really want to plug a, a roll call story uh, that I just absolutely love. Uh, it, is, it has one of our corniest headlines. Uh, you'll, you'll have to see it um, to to believe it. But it is about uh, it was, it's written by two of our uh, health care reporters, uh, Ariel Cohen uh, and Sandhya Raman. And it is about comfort dogs. And particularly mm. at, at the United States Capitol, people from, you know, uh, from members offices to Capitol Police officers who have used, who have adopted dogs, uh, particularly in the last couple of years and, and especially after January 6th. As 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 basically their, um, you know, their way of kind of coping with some of the stress of the job. It's a really good read. And, you know, kind of gives a sense of what it's like in the capital. The capital is a very dog friendly place, which I think uh, for people not familiar with it, that may come as a shock. But because it's a museum as well as a workplace uh, and it's the seat of government. But it's a it's a really good read. And if you're a dog lover, this is the this is the story for you.
1: Uh, and shameless plugs are always welcome on the Bill Press 5, <laughs> Jason. Uh, don't worry about it. Well, uh, so for my favorite story of the week, first, I have a confession to make. Uh, I want to admit that I am a full-fledged taffophile. Now, first, I challenge any members of our panel to tell me what a taffophile is. Wow. No? Someone who likes saltwater taffy? Is this the Delaware angle, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is someone who likes browsing through cemeteries, grave sites, graveyards. It's a -a taphophile, and I I do. (laughs) Congressional cemeteries, one of my favorite places, Père Lachaise in Paris. So I was very excited this week to read in the Washington Post a new trend in cemeteries, and these are people who put Recipes, favorite recipes, on their gravestones, uh, and they are. Um, there's a reporter who's uh, researching these around the country. For the most part, these are tombstones for tombstones for women, and for the most part, uh, the recipes are desserts. So there are recipes out there for chocolate chip cookies, for fudge, for peach cobbler, for blueberry pie. I love this. I, and we can all identify with it. My grandmother, when I remember my grandmother, Benler, I remember, number one, her fudge. And I wish I have her fudge recipe. I wish it were on her, her tombstone. So I think this is a great new trend. It'll make cemeteries all the more interesting for taffophiles like me. And I do think it gives new meaning to saying that her fudge is to die for. Sorry, couldn't resist that. Thank you so much to our panel today. Great look at the news of the week. Alan Smith from NBC News, Leah Askaranam from The Grid, and Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call. Thank you, panelists, and thanks to all of you good friends for joining us for today's roundtable. Have a great weekend. We will be back on Tuesday with our next podcast talking to the Reverend Jim Wallace from Georgetown University about a very important development in this country today, a political movement that I think we should all be concerned about, and is a movement called Christian Nationalism. Jim Wallace uh, is a leader uh, uh, raising concerns about Christian nationalism, a Christian pastor raising concerns about this phenomenon of Christian nationalism. We'll do a deep dive with him uh, next Tuesday. Meantime, again, take good care of yourselves. Come back and see us for Jim Wallace on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.